So last year, the Grammy Award nominations came out, and I was kind of amazed. Two of the eight nominees for Album of the Year were queer. Janelle Monae and Brandi Carlile. Two of eight, that's 25%. And compared to the number of queer artists nominated throughout the 60 plus years of the Grammy Awards, that number 25% is wild. Now, whether this one stat is going to prove to be an outlier or not, the truth is that there has never been more openly queer people making music in the mainstream than there is right now. And on top of that, I would also argue no one is doing what Hailey Kiyoko is doing. No one is making pop music at that level that she's at that is so explicitly and overtly queer. It's not hidden or coded in her lyrics. You listen to one song, like Feelings, for example, and you instantly know that this is a lesbian singing about her love for girls. So I am very excited to say that Hailey Kiyoko is our guest today. She is leading a revolution on the pop charts, and I can't wait for you to meet her. From Luminary Media, I'm Jeffrey Masters, and this is LGBTQ&A. I've been wanting to talk to you because I think that you occupy this space in the music industry that nobody else does. Thank you. Do you agree with I that? I love occupying space. I think it's exciting that more and more artists nowadays are just being brave and more open with their sexuality. Yeah. I told you earlier, but I've never seen another queer artist on stage who has bras thrown at them. <laughs> Do you remember the first time that happened? I didn't know what it was. I was kind of scared. I was like, oh gosh, they're coming for me. <laughs> really? Uh, yeah. And um, and then I looked and I was like, oh, it's a bra. And, um, but I've, I've become used to it now where they throw the bras and I can sometimes catch it depending on the angle and the height of the bra. So I'll be singing and I'll just reach my hand out and be like, ah. And like that really gives me a nice ego boost when I catch the bra. Wait, so this is a standard part of a Haley yeah. Chico show now. It was very popular in uh, in my US tour. And I think in the European tour, I had less bras, but I don't think people wear bras as much over there. So I, I felt like this recurring theme. I was like, oh, okay, maybe it's just like a culture thing. That's so funny. <laughs> I mean, the other difference is, you, yes, you are openly gay, but you also put it in your songs in a way mm -hmm. that it's unavoidable. <laughs> and, and I mean that in like you a great way. You can't avoid me. <laughs> <laughs> or your sexuality. You just like throw it in our face. No, yeah. just kidding. But I just like wanted to know, like, why is that important to you? I grew up listening to music, you know, where the pronouns were he and him. And it just would be so great to just have it be my exact situation. And there's something so freeing about that. Um, and then a lot of artists growing up too, I would listen to that would use the word, you know, the pronoun you, you know, and I know it's about a girl, but I just want to hear it, you know? And so I just started to do it and it feels amazing. Like when I go in the booth and I say her or she's the one or girl, and it's just like, it feels right. And so why not just put that in your music. I'm even like a massive Elton John fan. Yeah. And even when he was like overly the top and over the top gay mm -hmm. in a great way, he still was not singing about like he, him pronouns and it's like love songs. Yeah. Well, the argument is that it narrows your um, 
audience. And and then my argument going back is like, well, I'm gay, but I listened, I grew up listening to heterosexuals singing about, you know, men and like I I still connected to it, you know, so I was still able to enjoy the music. And so why should I not be able to speak my truth uh, in fear of nearing my audience? And that's also something that I feel like record executives say, but that they've not actually tested, mm-hmm. right? It's like purely an assumption. Yeah, it's just a thought. It's just, it's a judgment on the situation. And it's like, well, let me prove you wrong. And so here I am doing music, trying to prove people wrong and also showcasing that, you know, you can love who you love. And I mean, music is so universal. It's like everyone goes through heartbreak and love and lust. And it's like, why should me being gay hold me back from achieving my dreams? And even without naming gender in your songs, there's like a queer sensibility. <laughs> there's a queer vibe, yeah. energy, so to speak. <laughs> but, like I'm specifically thinking about like feelings. Like the, yeah. the lyric is, I over communicate and feel too much. That is me. That's lesbian culture. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, uh, you know, females, we love to communicate. But, you know, men like to communicate too, but it's just a stereotype. But, yeah, no, I am over-communicate and feel too much. That's me. It's 100%. Just, it's just, like, such a specific lyric that I was like, yeah. oh, God, yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, for feelings, the, the song, what did you want people to get from that song? I had gone through an experience where I was like, sometimes I feel too much and I'm going to be quoting a lot of these lyrics because it's very verbatim and like I scare people away. And like, why is it that like when I start dating someone and I really like them and I communicate my feelings, that run, runs them the other way, the other direction. Like, shouldn't I be getting somebody because I am being forward and communicative and like direct with my emotions. And it was doing, I was single at the time and I, it was just doing the complete opposite. All the girls were just running away from me because I was like, this is how I feel. I like you, blah, blah, blah. And it just, they went, see ya. So that's where kind of the song was born where I was just like, what? I'm going to have to sing about this. Someone, someone must be going through the same thing. <laughs> See, I'm always on the side of the girls you date. Oh, uh, you're running away. Yeah, uh, yes, exactly. You're the, the runner. Got I'm it. Like, you ha- can talk about emotions. That is terrifying. <laughs> Get the fuck out of my house. <laughs> What's terrifying is when people don't communicate back to me. So I, I'm fearful of you, the opposite. <laughs> Queerness aside, your songs and your interviews are about female sexuality and desire. And hearing a woman say that you want to perform and have hot girls screaming at you. Yeah. Like if a dude said that, it would be so mundane. But, <laughs> you know, but like for Am women. I an asshole? <laughs> no, you're just a woman. And like, we're not used to that. Like it's, it's considered yeah. like, un, it would, I think like there's an assumption that's considered like uncouth. Yeah. I don't know. I like, I love women. And I've always loved the attention of women and I never had the attention of women. So it is something that I have desired throughout my childhood and my youth, wanting that validation. And, um, you know, it's like, and then when when you grow up being gay, it's also too like, I didn't really have guys courting me either. And then I didn't really have girls courting me because most people in school aren't really out or at my time weren't really open with their sexuality. So nobody was courting me. So, you you know, you, you feel alone and you feel unwanted. And so I aspired to be 
like an artist like Justin Timberlake and all these really awesome male artists that just everyone wanted to be with. Oh, the the attention from women was part of that desire. Totally. Yeah. So growing up, you didn't have the attention of women. When did that change? Probably just like a couple years ago, honestly, <laughs> when I started touring. Yeah. Well, but that's also, too, because I was open with my sexuality. Like, it's stupid that I was beating myself up about not having attention when the girls didn't even know I liked them. I would just go to my bedroom and write about them in my journal. Like, they can't read my... People can't read your mind. So you have to be forward, and sometimes people will be able to handle it, and sometimes they'll be a runner like you. (laughs) I'm comfortable running, though. Is that a weird adjustment for you now, like women's attention? I think everyone just loves to be flattered. I feel like it's just, it's really nice to know that people find you attractive as a person, you know, like, I don't know. I feel like that feels nice. And it's nice to have that when you didn't have that growing up too. Yeah. And so I said that you had said you want to perform and have hot girls screaming at you. I feel like you have achieved that, right? <laughs> I think I have. Yeah. On a, on a lower level, like, I think I was referring to NSYNC at the Staples Center. So, but I'm, I'm, I'm on my way, you know, taking the steps to get there. So has there ever been pressure from the music industry to tone down your queerness or not be so overt with it? No one's ever told me like, hey, tone down, you know, liking girls. But I think that I've had instances, I've, I've spoken about it before, where it's like, oh, you're going to do a video about a girl again. Oh, you're singing about girls again. Like, can you do something else? And I'm kind of like, N- I, no, like I like girls. So that's not changing. Like that's part of who I am, part of my narrative. Like, I don't know. It's a really interesting thing to say to someone because like, I like girls. So I will always sing about girls. Will my content be different? Of course. And stories change and evolve just like every other person who lives life and falls in love and goes through heartbreak. So I think that that gets a little frustrating. That's an interesting thing to tell you because from the outside, it seems like you're openness and honesty is like the reason you have fans. Mm -hmm. And then they're asking that to all change. Well, it's more so a lot of people feel like it's a concept or like a trend or it's like, cool, you kissed a girl in this video. What are you going to do next? Oh, Haley's- As opposed to it being my truth. Like that's my truth. That's who I am. Oh, like Haley did the lesbian thing. Let's do something else. Right. Oh. Yeah. And that, that is a recurring- feeling that I will get from people that don't understand the importance of, I don't know, being myself. And I wonder if that also goes back to what you were saying about there's no historical precedence Mm -hmm. for, you know, a queer woman singing about her queer life and making that mainstream pop. Yeah. I mean, it's, you get really deep with it when you start overanalyzing it because it's like, it's almost like people get tired of the repetitiveness of being queer and being gay. It's like, it's like, oh, you see all these rainbows. It's like, great, what else? Like, what's next? Like, what are we going to talk about next? And it's like, well, that's not it. Like, this is who we are. And like, it's about equality and like support and finding hope and making sure kids aren't killing themselves and like being there for one another. Like, it's a, it's a, bigger thing and it's not something that should ever go away. 
if that makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah, so that is something that I come across often, I feel. And and so that is your queerness. How how do your other identities play out as like a woman and as a Asian American? Like how how is that viewed in the industry? For me, I started acting to make money for music because music's very typical. <laughs> so it was acting, but so I was kind of doing a little bit of both and I I found it was very difficult being half Japanese, half white, because I was never Asian enough and I was never white enough. And so I'd go out for roles, for acting gigs. And I just never, could never find my place. And I do feel like mixed race people are still trying to find their their path and way in the industry, especially in the acting world in Hollywood. We still have a lot to go, I guess, with that. You're trying to find your place in terms of acting. Is that also the case in music? I don't find that it's the same in music. I feel like music is a little more, I don't know, open and just like used to differences in people. I do think that we have a lot to grow in music, but I think that they're they're two different worlds and they both have their own um, struggles and challenges for representation and moving the needle and narrative forward. How diverse is the music industry behind the scenes? say pretty diverse. We could use more female execs, I think, across the board in the world in general. Um, But I think in the music industry, there are some powerful women, um, but we could use some more, you know, and just that opportunity. And I think that it's, it's become better, just like we're lifting each other up and we're listening to one another and we're giving, I think uh, like for me as an artist, it's always been about opportunity. It's like, I've always believed in myself. I always knew I could do what I wanted to do, but I was like, I just need an opportunity. And most of the time you have to make your own opportunities. And it's like, how do you even get an opportunity to make your own opportunity? And it seems like you did that like specifically with your Girls Like Girls yeah. video. Yeah. That was a huge viral hit. At, at the time, did you have a record deal and like fan base then? No. I had like 9,000 YouTube subscribers in 2015. And I had put up music videos. I did some remixes. And I remember complaining to my manager. I was like, what's the point of me putting out content if no one's going to watch it or listen to it or find it? You know, and so Girls Like Girls was like my last hurrah where I was like, I have $5,000 left to invest in myself. I'm going to do this video of my dreams and tell my story. And we did it. And um, two months later, I was signed because the video went viral. It it grew like it had a million views every week. And like all my other videos had like 10,000 views, like not not as many views. And we hit 500,000 views after two weeks, which was huge. And I always tell the story because I'll never forget. I was performing for 15 people in Lansing, Michigan, when the video hit 500,000 views and there was no green room. We were sitting in the back of a minivan, killing time before our set. It was just so crazy to me because here I am. I don't know. I was like 15 people. It's not a lot of people. Like I still have a lot to go. But then on online, people are starting to really discover me. And why did you say that you had to persuade yourself to put out that video? You're making yourself vulnerable to judgment. I think uh, the main reason why I wasn't in the video is to protect myself. So, oh, yeah, <laughs> it, was, it was it was a selfish reason. 
Because yeah. I was wondering why this is like yeah. Haley's most personal video and she's not in it. Yeah, because I feel like if I was in it, you would be watching Haley in a video. You want to just be watching two girls in a story. And I really wanted people to just like fall in love with the story and listen to the words. I didn't want to be a distraction in the video um, because I feel like sometimes you can be as an artist a distraction of the story. Also, I did it because I was afraid and I didn't want to put my face on it because I didn't know I didn't know what people were going to say about me. Because you had not made such um, overtly queer music before, right? Yeah, it was my first song I wrote about liking girls ever. Yeah. But, but I mean, like at that time you were out, right? Or no? No. Well, I was always out to like my close friends, but like... I had a girlfriend at that time and we we I still wasn't like comfortable publicly. Yeah. And I didn't want people to know that I liked girls even though I had a video called Girls Like Girls. I mean there's no going It was back. still that whole year of it out I still was like I don't want to have I told my publicist at Atlantic I signed was it 2 months or 3 months? It was three months after the video came out, and I told the publicist, who's my publicist now, and I told her, I was like, I don't want my name on any out magazines, lesbian, even close to the name Haley Kyoko. Like, I don't want anybody to know. Like, I just want to be an artist because a lot of the times people just see a word and then they judge you and then they don't listen to the music or what you have to say. And so... I thought that was going to be a disservice to myself as an artist. So I was like, let me just, you know, tell people who I am through my art, you know. And so that's what I did. I released Cliff Sedge after that and I put myself in that video and I made out with a girl and I, that was me kind of owning who I was and how I felt without saying it, you know, in writing, expressing myself through art. And so you having that conversation with the publicist, how long did that last for when you felt like that? <laughs> I felt like it lasted for about a year and a half, maybe a year. And then I started releasing more videos after that and they just became gayer and gayer. <laughs> and, and then I realized like, if I'm scared, then everyone else will continue to be scared, you know? And like, I was like, if I don't own who I am, what kind of a role model am I? And so my fans really encouraged me. They never told me, but by having fans that supported me, that encouraged me to be myself. I think it's so fascinating that you were having this discovery in terms of yourself after you put out the song called Girls Like Girls. <laughs> You know, like it's yeah. weird to be like having that realization publicly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I Art is like my way of expressing myself. And so it was scary, but it was less scary to express myself through my art. Like doing a music video, telling a story, showing a perspective as opposed to being like, doing an article and talking about my personal life. Like it almost protected me in that way of just kind of like 
capturing moments of my life in these stories because they're stories that people can relate to, even though they're very personal. And all of your videos do come down to a story you're telling. Yeah. And you direct most of them. I Wish is my ninth video. That's yeah. huge. Does it always start with a story for you when you're directing a video? Most of the time. Sometimes I write a song and I can like see a world and like a feeling and I'm like, ooh, I want to capture that feeling. Um, and then a lot of the times it's like, I like to challenge myself. I go, okay, this song, when I originally wrote it, you know, six months ago or whatever it was, was about this. How can I reinterpret the lyrics and tell a completely different story? Um, that's what I did with One Bad Night. And so I like that challenge because it challenges yourself. It's like, how can I reinterpret these lyrics totally. so other people can relate to them as well? There's a comment on your video for Girls Like Girls that I love. It was someone named Selena Sune, and she said, me in 2015, oh, that's gay. Me in 2019, oh, I'm gay. <laughs> yeah. And I just like, I think that's, it sounds dumb, but like, I think it's so important to have like pop culture reflecting queer experiences mm -hmm. because like maybe this girl wouldn't have like realized that for like five more years. I know. It's interesting that... <laughs> A lot of my fans, we've all had crushes on the same characters growing up or just like watching TV shows or movies. And like those were moments where we didn't realize we were gay. But now looking back, I was like, oh, I was gay. <laughs> like who? Give me an example. Like I loved Misha Barton when she kissed uh, Olivia Wilde and the OC. There are a couple of things that, well, all my fans, they reference Stella Yamada from Lemonade Mouth, which is the character I played. And they always say, they're like, your character made me realize I was gay. And I'm always like, is that because I'm gay? <laughs> I made the character gay because I'm gay? Um, so we, you know, a lot of fans have that in common. That's really funny. You were talking about songwriting. You've been doing it for a long time. Uh, when did you start writing songs? Uh, really young. I would say songwriting was probably my first outlet of just expressing myself. So like five, I'd just like bang on the piano, sing songs that made zero sense. And then I would write songs about love, even though I never was in love. I would perform the songs at like talent shows or like for my parents' Friends. Do you remember the earliest song you can like remember? Yeah, it's called Shooting Stars. Shooting <laughs> No, please. No, it's about literally shooting stars, shooting up in the sky and falling down. That might be one of the lyrics. Very basic, you know, level A, but you know, it was a start. With your writing these songs about love, you said before you had knew mm -hmm. what love was. Like, were you, I don't want to put words in your mouth, like, were you girl crazy growing up? Yes. The first crush I, I noticed I had had was from my first grade teacher, Miss Spear. She was a babe. <laughs> <laughs> and so you were aware that it wasn't just, like, your favorite teacher. You were aware that, like, oh, I like this woman. I was aware I liked this woman, but I didn't, I wasn't aware that that made me gay. I just was like, oh, I, I love women. I love how her hair smells. I love her smile. I love how she moves. Like, I love everything about her, and I want to be around her as much as I can. But it wasn't like, oh, I'm gay, and my life is going to be difficult now. When did that happen? Mm, middle school. Yeah, middle school, I had 
uh, lots of crushes. And I realized, you know, all the girls wanted, I, you know, say this story a lot, but all the, all the girls wanted to go to the promenade on Fridays and hang out with the guys and flirt with them and watch movies. And I wanted to go to the promenade to flirt with the girls. And so I'd be like setting myself up for failure because I'd be there being like, you know, so-and-so, like, give me attention. And then they'd be giving their attention to a guy. And then I'd get, like, my heart broken because they'd, like, you know, end up dating or something like that. And so I learned to stop subjecting myself to those situations, and I just stayed home. <laughs> oh, my God. So you knew you were gay at that point? Did you? Were you out mm-hmm. to people? No, no. I came out to my parents in middle school, and then they said it was a phase. And so I just kind of, like kept it to myself. And then in high school, Girls Like Girls is about this girl that I fell in love with, one of my best friends, and she like broke my heart. And so I locked myself in the garage for multiple days. And and then I re-came out to my parents at that time. Like they realized it was a real thing. And wow, excuse me, I was like really heartbroken and shaved my head and gained lots of weight. And just in a dark place at is that, that it? time. Yeah. That is such a queer, like, female experience where, like, <laughs> lesbians are like, no, I promise I'm gay. And, like, a gay yeah. guy's like, I'm gay. And people are like, okay, yeah, we know. <laughs> like, there's a lack of assumption around women being queer. Yeah. My favorite story in high school was that I, I had lots of boyfriends growing up. Like, I just liked, I, like, got along with guys. But the reason why I liked hanging out with guys is because we check out girls together. And I didn't realize that that was not normal in a relationship. I was dating this guy in high school and we both went to break up with each other at the same time. And we both told each other that we were gay. Wow. (laughs) He was like, I'm gay. And I was like, I'm gay. (laughs) Do you keep in touch? He was sent to conversion therapy, and I haven't spoken to him since. Oh, this got so dark. It's a, yeah, <laughs> it's dark. Yeah. Oh, twist. Yeah, it's really sad. Oh, now I feel horrible, like making jokes about it. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. I mean, people go, people all over the country are going through. Yeah. Stuff like that. Yeah. So. I was asking about your songwriting. Did mm-hmm. it? Um, this Haley Kyoko sound was that mm-hmm. something that you always? like knew what that sounded like right away? I knew what I wanted it to sound like, but getting there took a long time. What were those steps to get there? I mean, the first step, you know, I, re- I used to write music in my bedroom with my guitar. So it was first going from singing and playing guitar to recording in a studio and you have millions and gajillion sounds you could possibly imagine you could use. And oh, it's, it's like, option paralysis. Yeah, it's just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I could sound like this. I could sound like that. I could sound like that. So my first EP, Bell to Remember, is a little more like quirky and like shows more of my goofy side. And I was experimenting with like synth sounds. And then this, my second EP, The Side of Paradise, I felt like I was really getting closer to my sound. I had a lot of M83 references and, uh, you know, I love metric. And so it was very synth heavy. And then my third EP, Citrine, I felt like I finally found my sound because it felt visual and my goal was to create music that was as visual as possible. 
mm-hmm. with the other pop stars that are out now. I'm thinking about like people I love, like Janelle Monae and mm-hmm. uh, Brandi Carlisle. Uh, um, yeah. Even smaller people like a Sissy Rocket. Yeah. Um, is there a camaraderie between like all the queer ladies? I hope so. I mean, I don't know every single person. I don't know every single artist personally. It is really fun to kind of go to events and parties and, and meet idols and Sia is one of my favorite people of all time and I haven't met her yet and one day I will. And so but, it's- So there's not a community between you though. I feel like there is a community, but in the sense of I'm rooting for them and I know that most of them are rooting for me as well. I think that we all haven't met, but that would be very difficult to get everyone in the same room because people are busy. I do feel the support. You know, Tegan and Sarah is a great example. Love them. They reached out to me on their own. Tegan was like, hey, I just wanted you to know that I'm here for you. Like, if you need anything, I'm here for you, and I believe in you. And, like, that was just, like, the most amazing feeling ever to be like, wow, like, you're you're one of my idols, and, like, to know that you are just there for me, you know? And so there are artists out there that, really will extend an extra hand and just be like, yo, like we haven't met, but you're awesome, you know? And I do feel like that community is there, but I'm not going to lie and tell you that we all, (laughs) we all know each other. (laughs) No, I don't want you to lie to me. Yeah. We don't all know each other yet. Yeah. Before I let you go, I have to ask about the lesbian Jesus nickname. (laughs) Um, Just because I'm fascinated by the fact, like we don't know how it started. Is that true? Um, it started on Twitter. It did? Yeah. Was that like one person? It was Twitter born. I don't know who the person was. We'd have to like contact Twitter and like go through extreme. That's my next like investigative podcast. Okay, cool. We're we'll doing do it. that next episode. But it was a few fans that had tweeted me the name Lesbian Jesus. And then it just continued to grow. And then I. And I said it, and then they were like, oh, my gosh. And then ever since then, people don't scream Haley. They scream lesbian Jesus. That's incredible. (laughs) And, like, a weird and amazing way. Yeah, I'm not trying to offend nobody, you know. It's just, I think, I take it as the highest compliment because I think— To be compared to Jesus. Well, you you can't compare anybody to Jesus. But what I I think they mean is that they're able to create a community— by listening to my music and bringing people together. And I think that that's really important for people to have a community and feel hopeful. That's what religion does, you know, and is to find hope. That is so nice. Is that, is that a cross on your neck? Are you is religious? That, no, oh. no, I'm, no, it's a sword. Oh, yeah. I just didn't know if like your um, like no. family was like freaked out by like you taking no. this nickname. I No, I feel like they would have if I did grow up religious. No, I, I grew up just kind of like to believe whatever I want, but I really respect religion and I, I love it because I feel like it gives so much to people. And so I'm kind of just like a supporter of, of anything good and kind and generous and loving. That's so nice. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you for talking to us. Thank you so much. This was great. Thank you. 
All right, that is it for today. Next week, we'll be back with Cyrus Grace Dunham. They're the author of the new memoir, A Year Without a Name, which I greatly enjoyed. So stay tuned for that. And then until then, come find me on social media. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at JeffMasters1. Those are great places to stay connected and to recommend guests. We are brought to you by Luminary Media, Neon Hum Media, and The Advocate. The Advocate Magazine is the world's leading LGBTQ news source. Come check out our website at advocate.com. LGBTQ&A is produced by Jonathan Hirsch, Zach Stafford, John Asante, Jordan Gospre, and myself with sound engineering by Mark Bush. We'll see you next week.